Section three of Harper's Young People, Volume One, Issue ten, January sixth, eighteen eighty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Betty B. Harper's Young People, Volume One, Issue ten, January sixth, eighteen eighty. Putnam's Narrow Escape by Benson J. Lossing many years ago i was riding in a light carriage between greenwich and stamford in connecticut after descending from high ground by a road cut through a steep declivity i observed some rude stone steps upon the abrupt slope which were half concealed by shrubs and brambles an old man was standing at a dooryard gate near by and i inquired of him the meaning of those steps before the revolutionary war he said the people from this way when going to the church on the hill yonder had to go nearly a mile around to give those who were on foot a nearer cut those steps were placed there they are the rocks he continued that people believed old putt went down when he escaped from the british dragoons at horseneck he didn't go down the steps at all but went zigzag from the top to the bottom of the hill very near them i stood just here listening to the firing above when i saw the general rushing down the hill like a madman as he seemed for you see it is very steep as he flew past me on his powerful bay horse all bespattered with mud i heard him cursing the british who had pursued him to the brow of the precipice but dared not follow him further my informant was general ebenezer meade the whole story may be briefly told putnam and a few foot soldiers were attacked near the church by some british dragoons on a warm morning in march seventeen seventy nine so much greater was the number of the assailants than the americans that the latter fled for safety to the swamps near by their leader who was mounted turned his face toward stamford finding himself in danger of being caught he wheeled suddenly his horse at full speed and descended the declivity as described the dragoons dared not follow him in his perilous ride but sent pistol balls after him putnam escaped unharmed to stamford where he quickly gathered the militia and rallied some of his scattered followers then he pursued the invaders in turn as they retreated toward new york and making nearly forty of them prisoners he recovered much of the plunder which they were carrying away with them those famous steps associated with one of the perilous feats of a bold american soldier may be seen at this day not far to the right of the highway as you go from greenwich to stamford hare and hounds i have never taken part in hare and hounds but i feel as if i had because in the first place i have read tom brown and in the second place i have a brother who is devoted to athletics and who has just returned from a run with his club it is just like a real hunt only all the animals are human beings two boys are hares and carry bags full of scraps of paper which they scatter as they go any number of boys are the hounds and follow this paper scent two boys are the whippers in who call the pack together with great tin horns one boy is master of the hunt and does nothing in particular though he is supposed to arrange everything my brother got up at an unearthly hour on the morning of his hunt in order to meet his fellow dogs and their prey at the grand central depot at nine o'clock i am sure that he was over an hour before time though he will not own to more than a quarter of it i know that he had a jolly time anyway 
but I will give his report in his own words. Such fun! We ran twelve miles, twelve miles, just think of it. Why, we got way up round Spoyton Doyville, from Highbridge, you know, but first, you know, we all met at the depot. Then, when we got to Highbridge, we went to the hotel and changed our things. We started from there. We only intended to run twelve miles, but the hares took us twenty. They meant to take us up to Yonkers, they said. Never mind, they got the worst of it. They had to run the fastest, you know. Didn't we tear through the country, uphill and down dale, over stone walls and brambles and down swamps? One fellow got up to his knees in water. We lost the scent once, near a railroad track, and it took us about five minutes to find it. The hares had colored papers, pink, blue, white, and yellow, and they looked quite pretty scattered all over the ground. The people about the country seemed to take a great deal of interest in us. One or two told us which way the hares had gone. A policeman, too, near Highbridge told us. They seemed to understand all about it. I thought they'd think we were crazy. A whole lot of fellows in white caps tearing through the country in that way. Oh, that reminds me. Two little boys asked one of our fellows what we were going after. Two men. What have they done? Stolen our watches and they stood staring after us with their eyes and mouths as wide open as, as, oh, anything. Oh, I must tell you, one time, just as we were going along the road, we heard a tremendous noise on the other side of the fence. We thought it was one of the whippers in blowing the horn. It sounded exactly like it, and we turned round, and there we saw a little donkey coming hee-hawing over the hill after us, a pretty little gray donkey, then one of the whippers in blew the horn, and the donkey was just delighted. Tickled to death, he hee-hawed and capered about and ran alongside of the fence. Wanted to join us. Had a fellow feeling, I suppose. Just then a little girl came running out of a house, calling him. She was afraid we were going to hurt him, or something, I suppose. And when we looked back again, he was standing still, just as quiet as could be, and the little girl had her arms around his neck. It made me think of Titania, in Shakespeare, you know. We did have a run, I can tell you. One of our fellows got hungry and stopped at a farmhouse and got some bread and goose. I wish I'd thought of it, too. Some of the country we went through was beautiful, up by the Hudson. We could see the river winding along and catch glimpses of the Palisades. Perfectly beautiful. We couldn't have had a better day, just cold enough and not too cold. We were awfully tired, though, and hungry. You'd better believe it. Why, it was two o'clock when we got back to the hotel, and we had started at ten, you know, four hours. Didn't we go for that dinner just as soon as we changed our things? They kept it waiting for us since twelve. Didn't we eat turkey, cranberry sauce, potatoes, cider, coffee, pumpkin pie, and I don't know what besides. We were almost too hungry to enjoy it at first, but we did eat. I had two plates of turkey and four cups of coffee. The coffee was pretty weak, but we made up for it by taking enough. I think we must have scared those hotel people. The man and his wife and daughter waited on us, and we did carry on so, firing things at each other, you know, and then after dinner we went up to the parlor and played and sung college songs, up a dee, and coca chalunk, and all those things. Such a row as we made. But coming home in the elevated was the worst. How those fellows did carry on. Just imagine, about twenty of us. My gracious, what a noise we did make. We kept the car in a roar. One fellow would go, E-O, 
and then another fellow would go, oh, ah, and then they'd all go together. One of the fellows put his head out of the window, and another fellow immediately dragged him in and began patting his hair down as if it was a wig, you know. We made puns on each other's names and whistled and sang, and, oh, carried on like sixty. One man with a black beard laughed at us ready to kill himself, and a brakeman on the back platform was grinning from ear to ear. Well, we did have a day of it, I can tell you, but won't we all be as stiff as bricks tomorrow? I will only add that I do wish I had been one of those boys, but I am glad that I wasn't that hotel keeper. The School Children's Welcome Saturday, December 20th, was a splendid holiday for the school children of Philadelphia. All through the week they had been reading of the receptions given to General Grant in honor of his return from his journey around the world, and now they were to take part in a welcome of their own. There was, in the first place, a grand street procession of boys, to the number of nearly 4,000, quite an army, in fact, who marched in four great divisions, each headed by a band. The boys were well drilled and stepped gaily to the music, with soldier-like bearing and precision. As the general rode between their lines, he was greeted with enthusiastic cheers. No doubt he was as much gratified by this boyish welcome as by the grand military display that attended his entry into the city. After reviewing the lads, General Grant was escorted to the Academy of Music, where almost as many schoolgirls as there were boys in the procession were assembled to give him a reception of a gentler kind. It must have been a pretty sight, more than three thousand lassies, all in their teens and all in their best attire. As soon as he appeared, two thousand sweet voices joined in the grand melody of Hail to the Chief, which was sung with enthusiasm and fine effect. The general acknowledged the courtesy in a short address. Several other speeches were made, interspersed with patriotic songs. Of all the festivities of the week, the one General Grant will probably remember with most pleasure will be the reception given him by the boys and girls of the public schools. End of section three.